welcome to episode 4 of the Par 5 podcast. If you are listening for the first time, welcome along, and if you're returning, welcome back. So this week, um, what are we going to have a look at? Well, we're going to start off with having a little um, look back at the PGA Tour and European Tour events which took place last week. With last week, what would have been Ryder Cup week, um, a lot of players were sharing their memories of playing in the Ryder Cup. Unfortunately, I <laughs> will never never be able to play in a Ryder Cup, um, but I have been to the Ryder Cup, so I went to the 2014 Ryder Cup at Glen Eagles, and I thought in this podcast I would take a trip down memory lane and share some of my experience and memory going to well, what was a really memorable um, Ryder Cup. I also recently saw a story where somebody managed to get two hole-in-ones in one round, and it led me down a, a hole-in-one rabbit hole, if you like, looking into all the facts and stats and figures around hole-in-ones and the history of hole-in-ones and the records and whatnot. So I thought I'd do a little segment on that and just uh, share with you some of the stuff that I've found. We'll also take a look at my golfing update for this week. So what have I been up to? What did I do last week with regards to golf? And uh, I don't know, just where, where my golf is at. And then we'll have a look ahead to this week's uh, PGA Tour event and also this week's European Tour event. Now, kicking off with the the PGA Tour last week. So over in America, we had the the Corrales Punta Cana Resort and Club Championship. And I say over in America, it was actually the Dominican Republic. So this was played at the Corrales uh, Golf Club. Now, it was won by Hudson Swafford on 18 under so a pretty a probably a pretty average score for four rounds on the PGA Tour he won by one stroke over Tyler McCumber now I must admit when I was watching it on Sunday night and I saw that name coming up I thought I have no idea who Tyler McCumber is and I still don't but you know fair play to him second place finish um, Swafford walked away with $720,000 and Tyler four hundred and forty or 460000 it's a relatively low payday for the PGA Tour. Um, the event last week, as is often the case after um, a major championship, or at least for a couple of weeks after the majors, a lot of the players, the, the big names that we're used to seeing, the McElroys, the Justin uh, Roses, the Dustin Johnsons, these guys tend to, to skip those events. <clears throat> so it wasn't what I would class as a, it's not fair to say a strong field, but it wasn't a, a kind of, you know the some of the the big names there this week, and I think for some of the players, certainly like um, like Hudson, it's a perfect opportunity to to get some much needed FedEx Cup points, some ranking points, um, and some some cash in the bank. But interestingly for Swafford, he was actually on a medical exemption, and I think he only had something like two rounds left um, to basically hold on to well, not to hold on to his PGA Tour card, but to be able to play two more rounds, uh, two more competitions. And with his win, not only did he win 500 FedEx Cup points, which takes him to basically second place in the rankings at present, and that is a really big amount of points for for the rest of the season to build on. Um, He also got 24 world ranking points. But that aside, what you get for winning one of these events is worth far, far more than the money. So this is a player who essentially, as I said, had two events left to play. And he has now earned a, a two-year PGA Tour exemption. He has qualified for the 2021 Masters. So, of course, the Masters for this year has been played in November. And then we'll have the Masters again. So he's qualified for the, the second uh, run of the Masters. He has qualified for the PGA Championship next year. He's played, now going to be playing at the Players' Championship. And, of course, as a winner, he's going to be on the, the Century um tournament of champions event in 2021 so a really kind of a good a good result for him there as i said he's, he's won seven hundred thousand dollars but at this level the money's not the the main thing he definitely made hard work of it so he, he didn't come into the event as a leader but he got off to a really good start on the final day and he found himself i think at one point he was about three or four strokes ahead and then he had a bit of a nightmare with a few kind of duff chips on 13 um, and he double bogeyed that hole and then he bogeyed 15 and just like that his lead was gone uh, down to one and it looked for all the money in the world like he was he was gonna he was gonna crumble um, and then he managed a birdie on 17 which meant that going on to 18 
He had a one-stroke lead. He basically just needed to par the hole. Managed to find the green in two, although he was on like the, the lower level. And he left himself what must have been a 10, 10 foot putt um, for par and for the win. And you could see how nervous he was. And I must admit, I was I was absolutely rooting for him. Um, he managed to make the putt, which was great. And, and you can see in these kind of celebrations just how much it meant. But of course... He knew not only in, in winning he was going to win the FedEx Cup points and whatnot, but he was getting that two-year exemption. Um, it was interesting hearing his caddy talk um, afterwards, and he mentioned that he is really excited about going to the, the Masters because he lives only about five miles away, and he has caddied there in the past, but he's obviously looking forward to getting back there. And um, and I think he genuinely thinks Hudson's got a, a pretty good chance, and he hopes that this is... This is going to have a good effect for uh, for Hudson going forward. Hey everybody, it's Kyle Bradley, caddy for Hudson Swafford, recent winner of the Corrales Punta Cana Resort. I'm here in Jackson, Mississippi, getting ready for another week. Um, Hudson had a big week last week. Um, a lot of people don't realize he had two events left, and to be able to step up and pull through with a victory with only two events left on his medical was just a really cool, cool moment. Um, I was really pumped for him. Hudson was pumped, be able to set a schedule now for the rest of the year. Um, it's going to give him a lot of confidence, I think, moving forward. I really expect a big thing from Hudson. Um, he's a great player, great guy. And it was just a really cool moment. Um, but now we're here in Jackson getting ready. Um, getting ready for the rest of the year, too, kind of like planning out what we're going to do. Uh, it's going to be a cool thing to be able to caddy the Masters. I, I live in North Augusta, South Carolina, five minutes from Augusta National. Caddy there a little bit years ago, have a lot of experience out there. And to be able to caddy in uh, in Augusta, home event for me, it's gonna be really cool. Um, that being said, I'm hoping Hudson gets well rested this week, uh, still hitting it really nice and can take that momentum from last week and carry it on through this fall. And uh, really look forward to a big, big year from Hudson and just really pumped for the way he was able to pull that through last week. It was, uh, it was a great week, and hopefully look forward to talking to you guys soon. Thank you. These, these events, I'm never usually too fussed about, as I said, because a lot of the big names are missing. But it was interesting in the Dominican Republic because it had that real feel of Hawaii. It was, a, you know, the palm trees and the sea views, and it, it was a stunning course. Um, for me, a lot more visually pleasant and interesting than a lot of the, the courses they tend to play week in, week out, um, and certainly a bit more memorable. But but there you have it. So, um, yeah, well done to, to Hudson Swafford for that one. Now, having a look at the, what we're going to have a look at next, the European Tour. So we had the, the um, Dubai duty-free Irish Open, which was held at Galgorm. So Galgorm Spa and Golf Resort in Northern Ireland. Um, it was won by USA's John... Catlin. So, interestingly, he's now won two of his last three events. He's won two in the same month on the European Tour. Um, so he won over the Andalusia Masters at Valderrama in Spain, which is a incredibly difficult course and showed just how good he is. He then had a good week the week after. I think it was in Portugal. Um, and then he's come out this week and, and he's won again, which is which is pretty incredible going. Um he, he won by two strokes over Aaron Rye. Now, Aaron Rye led from the end of round one, so he basically could have been a, a class as a wire-to-wire um, leader. But in all fairness to, to Catlin, he was minus six, or so six under for his final round, a 64. So three birdies in the last four holes. Um, I think that's you know, it's a pretty solid uh, round, and even Aaron Rye turned around at the end and said that, that he thoroughly deserved it. Um, so he's, he's definitely one to watch. I mean... Two wins in three events is pretty good going. Although he has been he has been a pro on the tour since two thousand and eighteen, um, so he's played something like thirty five or thirty six events. So it's not like he's brand new on tour, but he seems to have found a little bit of form. Um, and yeah, you could be seeing a lot more of him certainly in the, the coming weeks. One of my favourite things from that event, though, um, aside from the golf, was the the little clip of the farmer sitting in his field, surrounded by multiple cows, and he was just sitting on a little tub of. I don't know, feed or something like that with a cup, a cup of tea um, sitting watching the, the golf and I thought it's probably the most Irish thing I've ever seen um, is the, the Irish farmer sitting there with his, his cup of tea in his field um, so yeah, that, that was quite a nice wee clip um, enjoying the golf there now um, I mentioned at the start of the, the podcast around the Ryder Cup so this would have been the Ryder Cup at Whistling Straits last week 
Um, and as I said, a lot of players were posting memories and it was great seeing the, the clips and, and it must be nice for the players being able to share those with the fans and talking about um, how, I guess, how excited they they were they were and they are at playing in these events. And it's a real shame because the, the Ryder Cup, you know, it's one of these really kind of key moments in golf every couple of years. Everybody looks forward to it. So it was meant to be playing at Whistling Straits. It's now been postponed till next year. So um, 21st of September is a date for your diary next year. Interestingly, I was looking at the standard, um, or the standing, should I say, for the players who essentially would have qualified for the team um, as you know things were. Now, obviously, they stopped the qualification um, earlier on. So looking at the players who have essentially already got a slot, and obviously this can change when qualification resumes at uh, the start of next year. Tommy Fleetwood, uh, John Ram, we've got Rory McIlroy, Victor Perez, uh, Hatton's in there, Danny Willett, Fitzpatrick, Westwood and Wiesberger. So they're the, they're the kind of the main players who are in the list. Um, and then obviously there's the three captains picks. Now, there, there are some names in there I, I probably won't be expecting to see on the team. Perez was, was in a bit of form last year, uh, not so much just now. Um, Wiesberger, well, he's, he's been all right recently, actually. He's somebody who can easily win. I mean, he's playing this week. He's, he's uh, the defending champion. He was incredible last year, so he could well keep his slot. Um, but the four there's four guys who are pretty close. So uh, Marcus Kinhout's very close. Uh, Schwab's on the cusp. Graham McDowell's in there, so you know he's obviously doing doing all right, and Henrik Stenson as well. So you could argue that somebody like Stenson could potentially be um, be a pick if he wasn't in in the team. But then there's that many great players who aren't on that list at, at the moment. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how it how it goes next year when we start ramping up the events, and uh, and these guys are playing more often to try and get their place on the the Ryder Cup team. Um, but I wanted to have a look back at, as I said, my experience of the Ryder Cup. And going to a Ryder Cup event is without a doubt like no other, firstly, no other sporting event, but also um, no other golf event. So I've been to quite a few golf events uh, on the European Tour. And the Ryder Cup in 2014 was, was a special one. So I went on the Friday. Now we had... It's a ballot process, so we'd wait for months to try and um, get tickets, eventually got tickets, and then you're, you're waiting for a, a long, long time. Um, but I remember vividly on the, the kind of the day when it when it arrived, so we had tickets for the Friday, which is the opening day, of course, and it was up in Glen Eagles, so 2014. I don't live too far away. I had to drive to Kinross. It was about, I think it was about back at five. It was an early start. And then you got on the um, the, the buses from Kinross, through to Glen Eagles, so you obviously Glen Eagles is quite a small place. You weren't able to drive there, um, but they put transport on to drop you off. And I remember when we first went through, there was a little bit of like security, and obviously it's half five, so it's very very dark. Um, and I remember going through, and the first thing that struck me was, it was almost like when you see the clips of the Masters. Okay, so when they're preparing, they've got all of the greenkeepers lined up, cutting the fairway at the same time, cutting the greens at the same time on their moors. Um, and it was exactly like that, but it was first thing in the morning, so all, all you could see was the bright lights of the mowers driving around the course. And that kind of really helped to build anticipation before the event. So you come through security, and then the first thing I noticed was just everybody running. And, uh, you know, instinctively, you just start running as well. You don't know what you're running for, but people are running, so there must be a reason. Um, and then all I could hear was loads of marshals, slow down, slow down, stop running. But obviously people are then... They're doing the awkward kind of like speed walking because they, they want to run, but they're not allowed to, but they're just going to run anyway. But then when somebody looks at them, they'll start to they'll start to walk. Um, so, so my mate Neil and I, who was with, started to sprint. We got up to the first grandstand and we were desperate to get into the grandstand because that that's where you want to be. You want to see the opening tee shots. Um, so we're waiting behind this massive wall and there's a set of like steps going up and there must have been about 20 or 30 people in front of us. And we're queuing and there's guys coming back down the stairs saying, oh, we're not going to wait. We're going to try and go go elsewhere. And all you can hear is like the constant singing and cheers and songs from over the back of the um, the stands. Unfortunately, you're on the side where you can't see anything. And we waited for a little while and occasionally one person goes in and two people get to go in. And you're, you're moving up the queue slowly. 
but you can really kind of feel the anticipation building and you're thinking would it be better just going and finding a good space on the course and watching the shots from there or should we hold off and try and get into the grandstand but it's a bit of a gamble because at the end of the day if you if you queue and then you find that there's no spaces you're gonna to have to try and find somewhere on the course that's extremely busy and all the good spots are picked um, so anyway we waited and we waited and we got up and then I remember we got to it was like our our we were next we were right at the front and then the guy turned around to us and he just said I'm sorry guys there's there's no more seats and uh, we were just absolutely gutted we were right at the top of the queue and then we, we said to each other look we'll, we'll wait because people might you know they might come out and then he, he waits a wee bit then his radio goes there's one more seat so Neil and I are trying to work out who should should take the seat so he had booked the tickets I said look on you go on you go um, so obviously he's like no 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 you go back and forth I says mate just go so he heads up the stairs and I thought I'll just hang on just in case someone else comes and then um, next thing I know, he's in his seat and he, he's uh, he's sitting there and he texts me and he says, there's there's actually a seat behind me and they, there's nobody there. So I went up to the, the guy in security and I says, look, my mate's there, there's a seat. And he's like, well, give it, you know, give it five or ten minutes, make sure nobody comes back um, because some people are sort of moving about and coming back. Ten minutes goes, nobody's taking that seat. So I says, look, can I go up and, and check? So he lets me go in. And uh, I couldn't believe it, the fact that we'd gone in together, he'd gone his own, and I'd managed to get the seat right behind him. And our position was just was just perfect. So we were looking, we're quite high up, but we're looking right down, um, sort of side on to the players, but our view was of the tunnel. Um, now, I don't, so, don't know if you've seen the clips of the Ryder Cup in 2014, but there's this tunnel takes you through from the sort of, uh, almost like the practice area slash um, the, main, the main tees for the Kings and Queens courses. And they decorated the tunnel with all of the kind of uh, past captains and players. And it was like Seve with his fist out and stuff. And you could see the players coming down and giving Seve a wee fist pump off of the wall. And up until the players were coming, it was just such an intense atmosphere because the place was packed. They had those European tour, well, the European guys, the guys, and I can't remember what they call them, the blue and yellow. And they were, they were leading the songs and the chants. Um... And the place was absolutely jumping. And it was only about, by this point, maybe seven, half seven in the morning, maybe getting closer to eight. Um, but we hung about there for a little while and then suddenly the place erupted and you could hear the, the players starting to come up. And I've, I've looked through my clips, my video clips, and I've found a couple of little clips. So I'll play this one for you just now. And this is basically uh, McGinley coming up and uh, and the, the first pairing, which was uh, Justin Rose and Stenson. <laughs> So as you can hear from that, it was, it was definitely a, a really kind of good atmosphere. And, and also at, at golf, you're just not used to that because golf's always very hush, hush, quiet, you know, and maybe a, a gentle ripple of applause, uh, certainly on the European tour. But at this event, I'd never, ever experienced anything like that at golf. So we waited along um, and the opening pairing. So the, the morning, the, the pairings were Rosen Stenson against Watson and Simpson. Second off was Bjorn and Keimer against Fowler and Walker. Uh, third was Gallagher and Poulter against Spieth and Reed, And then Garcia and McElroy were the last pairing out against Bradley and um, Mickelson. Now, <laughs> Poulter is obviously known as Mr. Ryder Cup and um, he was absolutely lapping it up. He comes out and he's, he's pumping his chest. Um, and I've got another little clip I'll play for you just now of all the fans serenading Poulter and I've never seen somebody so much in his element um, as, as then so I'll play this little clip for you just now
So after the um, after the players are all teed off, we decided to head off and just start kind of waltzing around the course, looking for different places to to watch the golf. Um, so as soon as the last groups are out and they've hit their tee shots, which would have been Bradley Mickelson, the, the stands just emptied like rapid, and everyone's wanting to get out and, and see a bit more of the action on the course. Um, to be honest with you, I can't even remember which specific sort of holes we went to or groups we followed. I know that we watched a good wee bit of uh, Rose and Stenson, caught up with them, and we also watched a little bit of uh, of Poulter and Gallagher. The The great thing about Glen Eagles as a course, certainly the centenary course, is it is really good for watching the golf. So it was perfect for a Ryder Cup because there's a lot of little slopes and bumps and humps and areas where you could go and sit and get perched out and, and see the golf. Whereas if you watch an event at St Andrews, for example, well, St Andrews is the, the home of golf and it's got all of that history, it's not a great place to watch golf. It's a little bit too flat. You're, you're kind of restricted to cross over holes and, and to get around. And, and generally speaking, I don't think it's it's that great a, a course to watch the golf at. Um, but the, the Ryder Cup at Glen Eagles was fantastic for a setup. Um, we spent a little bit more time in a few more grandstands, so certainly stands behind the greens. Um, for example, the 17th tee, they had a lovely stand up there. You could get up the top and you could see a view of the entire hole, which is a, a, a kind of short-ish par three. But you had the kind of down-the-line view of there, which was good. Only thing that wasn't so great in the morning um, were the, the scores. So Justin Rose and Stenson, they managed to win. But the um, Bjorn and Keimer, they tied. And then Spieth and Reed won. And uh, Bradley Mickelson won as well. So didn't expect Garcia and McElroy to lose. Um, but they did. I think they were one down in that match. So after the morning pairings, um, the US the USA were, were one point up. So two and a half to, to one and a half. I remember... At lunchtime, we were sort of hanging about the course and we were waiting on the players kind of coming back out. And there's almost a really quick turnaround. You can still walk around after the players and you'll see some of the guys are out sort of, uh, you know, obviously watching the players and following them around, some of the players who are going to go out in the afternoon. Um, but in the afternoon, it was, a, it was a different story for Europe. So they won the afternoon three and a half points. So incredible performance in the afternoon. Um, Jamie, Jamie Donaldson went out first with Westwood and they played Furyk and Kutcher. They won that match. Rose and Stenson, who were fantastic in the morning, fantastic again in the afternoon. They beat Zach Johnson and Hunter Mahan. Uh, McElroy and Garcia, even. So all square with uh, with Walker and Fowler. I think, I'm trying to remember back to that one, but I'm pretty sure it was it was tied on the 18th. I think McElroy and Garcia won, won the 18th to, to tie. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I remember that one was tight. Um, and... Victor Dubuisson and, uh, and McDowell won against Mickelson and Bradley in the afternoon. So a really kind of solid performance there from Europe in the afternoon, and they ended up um, winning. You know, winning the the day's play. But I remember there was there was a lot of criticism of Watson because he didn't play Spieth or Reed, who had won in the morning. Um, he left that that pairing out in the afternoon, um, and he came under a little bit of fire for that one. But it was it was definitely a, a sort of a golf event, as I said, I'll never forget. There's there's parts that I genuinely can't remember around going round because you're just watching players play golf um, on the course. But the the whole morning, you know, the morning section and having the the experience in the grandstands was I've never ever experienced that. And I doubt you you can't experience that if you go to another event other than the Ryder Cup. Even the guys like Bubba Watson, you know, shouting to the crowd and trying to get them to sing and getting them to to boo as loud as they can. It's you only ever see that on the PGA Tour over at the, the Phoenix Open, um, at the, the stadium um, hole. Other than that, you're not you're not going to get that. Um, and it's definitely something that I would like to, to experience again. I would love to go to another Ryder Cup. Quite difficult to get tickets for, and obviously it's got to be it's a location that's convenient to you. Um, but yeah, I would I would hope to get to get back there. In the end, though, I think Rose Rose managed four points, so three wins and two halves. Uh, Donaldson, Stenson, McElroy and McDowell all managed three points, so pretty good going. Um, and Stenson and Rose, they won all of their, their paired matches, so it shows just how good a, a kind of partnership they are. I think the, the man who stole the show was definitely Donaldson on the final day. He essentially won the Ryder Cup for Europe on the 15th with that beautiful approach shot. Um, second shot down to two foot, a little tap him. And he's, I think he's got a plaque on the ground here at Glen Eagles now. Um, 
But I, we went back to play with work on the centenary course. Um, that was the first time I'd played Glen Eagles. And it's really weird going back and playing it having been to the Ryder Cup because the first time I had been there was with the Ryder Cup setup. Um, and when you arrive and it's dark and you're walking around, you, you kind of you have no idea where you are. And then when you play the course, obviously there's no grandstands. It's all just completely different. So I'm thinking like the first tee, for example, I walked through the tunnel and even walking through the tunnel just as a a normal player on the golf course, it's a really kind of special feeling going through that tunnel um, to think of all the players who've gone through before you um, on that morning. But then when you get up to the front, the first tee, it's a bit of a kind of, it's a bit of a lull. It's a bit of a, not a letdown, but it, it just doesn't have that feeling because I was there when it was packed and it was full of the, the players and the fans and the buzz and then you go and play there with, with your mates and it's, uh, it's not quite the same um, but yeah love love to get to another Ryder Cup and I'm really looking forward to, to next year um, over at Whistling Strait so I think that's going to be a great one I, I have the same thought every couple of years when I look at the teams and I can't help but think America should absolutely walk it with the, the class that they've got and the players they've got um, trying to pick a pick a team from the amount of uh, of talent they've got must be so difficult and you know there's there's good talent in Europe but every time the Ryder Cup rounds comes around I basically expect the US to, to romp it but thankfully that's not always the case but yeah certainly over in um, over in Whistling Streets it's going to be a, it's going to be a great one it's just a shame we have to wait another year for that one um, now moving moving on slightly I am um, I was on Instagram the other day and I saw a little scorecard pop up and every time I see a scorecard I always look I always look at that post because I'm interested to see firstly who it is and uh, and why they're sharing the scorecard so it's either a really good score or a really atrocious score. Um, on this case it was a <laughs> it was a pretty solid score. So it was a guy called Matthew Welsh who is a scratch golfer um, and this was over in a knock golf course in Belfast and basically the story was being shared um, because he had managed two hole-in-ones in the same round but incredibly it was two hole-in-ones both on the back nine and one of them was a par four um, so from this I was looking at I thought what what are the odds what are the odds of this happening because it does occasionally happen he's not the first person to have two in the same round um, but I decided to, to go on a little a little research, a re- research and mission and try and find out a bit more about hole-in-one. So the odds of a pro making a hole-in-one are apparently 3,000 to 1. The odds of an average golfer, so average being probably like sort of mid-handicap, um, are 12,000 to 1. If you're a low handicapper, then it's 5,000 to 1. But the interesting one is the, the odds of making two in one round or 67 million to one. So yeah, Matthew there has achieved a, a pretty incredible feat to manage uh, 60 million, 67 million to one to get his, uh, his two hole-in-ones. Um, but from there, from researching the stats and the, the numbers, I decided to start looking into like which players have the records. So on the PGA Tour, uh, there's, there's two people who have managed 10 uh, Robert Allenby and Hal Sutton both uh, both on 10 for the PGA Tour but it's not all that surprising because these are professionals who have been playing for god knows how many years and they play at least four well at least two two rounds a week if they're on the main tour um, well, most most weeks um, so they're, they're playing a hell of a lot of golf and you'd expect them to get a whole you know good few home ones um, but on the European Tour Good old Jimenez. So he's had 10, uh, which is pretty good. And unfortunately for Scotland and for Monty, Monty seems to miss out on a lot of things by by a few shots. Um, he's had one more than Monty. Um, so he had his, his 10th was actually in 2015 at Wentworth on the par 3 second hole. So he overtook Monty at that stage. Um, he, he deserves it. He's a, the coolest man in golf. So it's, uh, it's only fitting that, that he holds that kind of record. And also, you get to see him do a great dance when he makes a, a hole out. Um, so, ten of those is, is always good. Um, all time though, all time most. So, somebody called Mansell Davis, who's a, a PGA pro, but he's not like a kind of pro on tour. He's more of a, a teaching pro. Fifty one, fifty one, holy months. 
Apparently this is legit though because a lot of them have been verified whereas there's somebody who is an amateur with 59 and there's a wee bit of um, uncertainty shall we say around some of those so I didn't include that person uh, the jury's out on that one but 51 hole in ones um, Kathy Whitmore so she's had 11 on the PJ Tour now a few months ago I had no idea who that was um, and then I I did a little bit of research and found out that she's basically, without a doubt, the most successful female golfer of all time on the PGA Tour. And uh, she's a Hall of Famer and she's also won more trophies and more tournaments on tour than the likes of Tiger Woods. So if you're looking for an interesting little read, I have an article on my blog, uh, andysgolfblog.co.uk, and it's called The Record Holding Hall of Fame Golfer You've Probably Never Heard Of. Um, and you'll learn a little bit more about about Kathy. Um, definitely worth a read, but eleven for her. Now the record for the most hole in ones in one round is actually three. Um, so Patrick Wills, Patrick Wills managed three in one round in June two thousand fifteen at uh, Laurel Hill Golf Club, a club should I say in Virginia. Three in one round, uh, unbelievable. Um. And the one that got me, though, there have actually been quite a few hole-in-ones on a par 5. So some of them were many moons ago when a par 5 was like 400 yards. Um, but the one that caught my eye was um, was Mike Crean, 2002, 517-yard ninth hole at Green Valley Ranch in Colorado. 517 yards, hole-in-one. Don't know how that's possible without seeing the hole. Um, it says in the article there was a lot of wind. <laughs> I'd expect there's a lot of corner cutting as well. Um, but there you go. So there haven't been any hole-in-ones on a par 5 in PGA Tour or European Tour or LPGA Tour history, but there have been in the, the amateur game. Um, and I was I was thinking about my own experience with hole-in-ones. So I've, I've had a hole-in-one, but unfortunately it was my second ball. Um, so I was on the, the 17th hole at Burnt Island, which is like a kind of blind, you hit over a hump and then the green goes down to a little bowl. So you don't, you don't see the green. Um, so I played my tee shot in the competition and got up there. The ball was going straight at the pin and we got there and there was nowhere to be seen. Um, so my playing partner and I had a look for sort of three minutes, couldn't see it, decided to go back and play another one. And I hit my second ball on the same line, but I took a club less. And as I got up there, he was just he was just worshipping me. And he said, your ball came straight down, took one little bounce and then popped in the hole. And I couldn't help but feel absolutely devastated. The only times you don't want to get a hole in one are either when you can't see the pin on the hole, when you're on your own, or if it's your second ball. So I had two of those three. I had my second ball and I couldn't even see the blooming thing. So... Um, yeah, I've I've been close a few times. I must admit, but that's that's a that's the closest I've come. So it's not even. I don't even think I can class it as a hole in one because technically it was in one shot, but it was my my third. The only consolation for me that day was that um, I needed a par to um, to make the buffer and a par that and a par the last hole. So my handicap didn't go up that day, which was uh, which is good because if it had gone up, it would have uh, added insult to injury. Um, but there you go, just some little little fun snippets about the, the hole-in-one there. Um, it'd be, be great to hear if any of you guys who are listening have ever had a hole-in-one. It's certainly a special thing, although if you you know, you know look at some of the guys who had 51, it's maybe not that special special for uh, for Mansell Davis. Okay, so I thought now um, I'd like to do a little weekly update about my own, my own golf and what's going on in my golfing world. So I... I've been getting it a wee bit at lunchtime, which is my main aim, because I, I don't like the idea of being stuck at my desk. Um, I want to, to use my lunchtimes productively. And it's not even necessarily about the golf. It's more about actually getting out and making sure that I take my, my hour. I'm doing something that's good. I'm getting a bit of exercise, getting a bit of fresh air. And also, we're about to come into the kind of winter months, so I'm not sure how long this, this is sustainable for. So I want to make the use of it just now. Um, but on Monday, I headed across to Preston Field. So it was for the final event of the season for the, the Work Society. So I've, I've mentioned this before, that the society is called <laughs> The Sausages. Um, I usually keep that keep that hidden or private because people start asking questions. But as I said before, it stands for something like the Scottish Ancient University Society... Um, 
Yeah, something along those lines. I can't even remember it. They better not be listening because they'll probably get kicked out for not knowing this. Um, but anyway, we played Prestonfield over in Edinburgh. Now, I've played this quite a few times and uh, it's a lovely course. It sits just below Arthur's Seat. So you play out towards Arthur's Seat, then around. And it's a parkland course. Um, but it's really, really enjoyable. So off of the yellows, it's a par 69, I believe. And I managed to score 33 points off of my handicap of 9. So I finished 12 over. Um, there weren't many highlights, if I'm honest. I managed one birdie, six pars, and a, a kind of mixture. The front nine was only four over, so it was really quite solid in the front nine. Um, my driving was the best it's been in a while. Short scope would say otherwise because I think I had something like 20% fairways and regulations, but a lot of them were just landing close to the fairway but still leaving me an approach shot um, and an option into the green. But I drove the ball really, really well. The rest of the game just was, a, you know, in the middle, the irons were just not, not great. Putting was pretty good. Um, the greens were incredible. They'd been holding the something like the Lothian Championship or something the, the day before, so the greens were beautifully ironed they were nice and short they were fast they were true um, and they were the best I've ever seen Preston Field with, without a shadow of a doubt but the back nine I just had a yeah just didn't play very well at all managed to get to the was it the 16th hole double bogey then I bogeyed the 17th after finding the edge of the green in two which on 17th at Preston Field's quite a good uh, a good shot into the second uh, second shot into the green and then I went for glory on the 18th and completely skied my driver, then hit a tree and then walked off of a five. So I was really disappointed because I was only five points off the winner. And actually, had I played the last sort of four holes better, um, and I guess even a wee bit more sensibly, I could have I could have won the trophy then. Um, but but that's how it is. Um, but yeah, Prestonfield, if you've never played it, it's well worth a, a trip to. As I said, it's just below Arthur's seat. Um, it's it's in the city centre, but it's it's got a lovely bit of green space around it. You get some nice views across um, various points of the course, and it's not too challenging, but it's challenging enough. So if there's a little breeze, there's a couple of holes can be quite long. It's a couple of holes where you've got a bounds run along the right hand side or the left, and um, it's yes, yeah, it's, it's just a really enjoyable track. And as I said, it's the best condition I've ever seen it in. My mate had told me beforehand that the course is, is looking the best he's seen it. And even the fairways were absolutely immaculate. One thing I did notice as well is the condition of the greens. So I mentioned they were really true, they were really well cut. But they were also free of pitch marks. So I didn't see any any issues, any blemishes. Whereas at my own course just now, we've got far too many. Either people aren't clearing them up properly or they're, they're not doing it at all. Um, and it's a shame because this is the time of the year when you have to look after the greens. So, you know, credit to the Preston Field members. I think they're doing a lot. There's a lot of the members have been going out in the evenings and helping out with the, the duties and they allocate a hole by surname for, for fixing pitch marks. So they're doing what they need to do to keep it in that condition. And and if you get a chance, um, try and get along and play it before the winter comes because it's a, it's a thoroughly enjoyable course and it's well worth the relatively low fee, actually, for, for a round. Um, what else did I do this week? So I took... I took the ShotScope G3 for a little test drive. Um, so if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I do a lot with ShotScope. I use the V3. I absolutely love it. I basically track all of my stats with it. I'm a bit of a stats nerd. Um, and I like the fact that it does the GPS as well. And ShotScope recently sent me a G3, which I'll be doing as a little giveaway um, once I get them onto this podcast. But they sent me the G3 and I thought I would take it out and just, just try it out. The main difference between the V3 and the G3, if you're wondering, is that the V3 does the shot tracking. So you get the tags, you put them in your club, you play your shots. After your round, it tracks where you played your shot from, how far you hit your clubs. And it gives you up to 100, um, well, I think it's actually over 100 tour level stats. Anything from your greens and regulations, fairways, number of parts, proximity to the hole, um, the most common club you use for that round or for your last few rounds, your average length, your uh, longest length of the clubs, loads and loads of stats. And it also provides GPS data. So when you're on the course, you can look at the watch and find out how far you've got to the hole, um, to the front, the middle, the back, also to various hazards on the course. If you're somebody who's not really bothered about the shot tracking, then the G3 is a really good option because 
Um, visually, it's the same as the ShotScope V3. So the G3 looks exactly the same. You can't change the strap color, so it's just black. But the actual uh, casing for the watch is the same. And the display is basically the same. So you get the yardages to the front, middle and the back. You also get the hazard information so you know how far away a hazard is and how far it is to clear it. And it picks up all of the hazards, so various bunkers, water and whatnot. Um, so I charged mine up and I took it out for a little spin on the V9 hole course at my club um, just at lunchtime. And like the V3, it performed really well. It's interesting when you're standing on a tee and you're looking at the yardage on the watch comparing with the signpost that's there. And for the most part, it was pretty much spot on. Um, so I've recorded a little video which I'll share on YouTube just giving a bit more information about what the G3 does um, but it's available from ShotScope for £169 and you can also get it on uh, I think it's American Golf and uh, online golf and various other golfing places but if you're looking for a watch that just does GPS and obviously functions as a watch as well um, then the G3 might be might be an option for you but I was, I was really impressed with it um, and if you're not wanting to buy one, you can hold off and enter my giveaway, which will be coming coming soon. The final thing that I've been working on is a, a kind of extension for what I was working on with uh, with Scott at Wells Green recently. So in a couple of a couple of podcasts ago, I talked about going for a lesson, and the main thing that Scott mentioned to me when we we got on the weight board and was was able to work out where my weight was shifting was there was too much weight on the front of my right foot and on the left heel. And I had a bit of an early extension, so on my downswing, I was sort of bringing my, my body up and stretching up. Um, and that should really happen after um, impact. So I was looking at ways to, to work on that and really improve that. And the biggest thing that for me is, is just focusing on turning my left, turning my hip or opening my hips from the left-hand side. So rather than any swaying movements, I'm wanting to focus on turning and turning with the hips um, so I've been doing a lot of work down at the range. If I've not been out playing at lunchtime, I've just gone and hit some balls. And and even when I was playing at Preston Field, my thought was always around turning and turning and trying to keep my, my shoulders more level. So when I'm turning, and I'm sitting doing this on the chair just now, when I'm turning, I don't want to bring the left shoulder up. I'm trying to just turn and almost feel like I'm keeping the right shoulder down. So keeping my body down. And, and it's amazing when you, you start hitting the ball properly, you're getting that, that feeling. You think, actually, somewhere in there, there might be, there might be a good ball striker. Um, fingers crossed. But yeah, so, so I've been working on, on a couple of little things like that. But that's the main focus. And that's probably going to remain the focus throughout the winter is just trying to get the weight on the heel of my right foot and the toes of my left. So uh, inverse of, of what I, I said before. My, my over um, previous issue was and trying to make sure that I instead of kind of bumping and moving up I'm just turning and getting more of a, a rotation um, if you like so a lot to a lot to work on there but the, the season's competitions are pretty much coming to an end for me now so even on the weekends I'll probably spend more time down the range rather than than playing on the, the main course in the winter Right, that's um, that's everything for, for my sort of update. So I thought what I'd do now is just bring a, a quick little preview of uh, the golf that's on this week. So on the week ahead, the PGA Tour's got the Sanderson Farms Championship, and this is in good old uh, MISs, ISs, IPPI, so over in Mississippi. Uh, that's at the Country Club of Jackson. So I said that as if I know what that is. I don't, if I'm honest. Um, but anyway, that's where the PGA Tour's heading this week now. The, the guys are a little bit more fortunate this week because instead of playing for $4 million, they've got a 6.6 .6 prize million uh, prize pool. So a big increase on their usual, um, you know, on, on the, the last week's um, prize pot, they've, they've gone back to their usual amount. Now, in the field, a couple of the players who have picked out, and these aren't necessarily players I would uh, encourage you to bet on in any way um, because I've not done enough research, but some of the names who are playing, um, so Scotty Scheffler, he's a favourite, and he, um, I think he's something like nine to one. Now he had some amazing form last year. So he finished uh, fifth in the FedEx Cup. He was uh, seven, seven top tens in two thousand and twenty, which is a fantastic run. He didn't manage to win, but uh, still pretty, pretty good going. So he missed out on the U.S. Open due to COVID, which is unfortunate for him. So. 
I know obviously he'd been absolutely buzzing to get to get there, um, and then to find out that he couldn't play because he had um, the COVID was a probably a bit of a nightmare for him to be honest. So it's it's good to have him back, and the fact that he's um, he's sitting there as as the favourite just shows just how good he, he actually is right now. Um, so as I said, I think he's nine nine to one favourite. Couple of other players who are playing. Who else we got? Uh, Sun GM. So he he basically plays every single event. Um, so he's one of these players. I think he's just probably thinking if I play every event, I'm gonna win eventually. Or I'm gonna win one or two. Um, and I'm pretty sure for top Eddie has already won. But he's twelve to one. So second favorite there. Um, last week's winner Hudson Swafford eighty to one. And somebody else who I always see his name floating about Russell Knox from Scotland up in Inverness. Um, he he is a good player. Far too good to have never won. Um, he, he won the, the Irish Open a few years ago. I remember he made that incredibly long putt on the 18th and then he made another monster putt on the, the first uh, playoff. But Russell Knox, yeah, 90 to 1. Um, he's He's been on the tour for a while and he's always he's always sort of floating around, but I think he's around about 150th right now in the FedEx Cup, um, the FedEx ranking. So he's, he's miles off the pace, but... You never know. He's he's got a game in there, um, and there's there's definitely a a chance from it at that kind of um, that event where it's maybe not the strongest of of fields, if you like. So that's one to look for there. That starts obviously on Thursday, um, and on the European tour we have the Scottish Open at the Renaissance Club in North Berwick. Now I went to this last year on the Saturday, and uh, it was a fantastic day out of the golf. Really, really enjoyed it. We followed. Matt Wallace around for quite a while, um, and I think he was on he was on fire from what I remember. I think we watched his first eight holes, and he must have been about seven under. Um, it was just like the perfect display of golf, to be honest. Uh, incredible performance. In fact, in the end, he shot a sixty four, so he was seven under. And at that point, he was he was sitting first in the race to Dubai, and then he he got knocked into second because I think John Ram won the week before in the Irish Open. So he was obviously coming in with a, a fair bit of form. Um, and I, I was never too big a fan of him. And then there was a little moment on the, I don't know, the sixth hole or something like that where he, he missed a putt and somebody shouted something like, I'm glad I didn't put money on you, Matt. And then he, he kind of looked and then smiled and threw him a golf ball. And I thought like that was a, a kind of nice touch. It showed he had that little bit of humour, um, especially given he'd, he just missed, missed a putt, but he was playing extremely well. So this is the second Rolex series event of the season. Um, the first one was way back in January. That was in Abu Dhabi, um, Abu Dhabi. And Westwood won that one. So it was the HSBC Championship. But this is the second one. And the main thing about the Rolex series is, aside from there being massive amount of points, there's also a 7 million euro prize pot. So what you'll see this week is a lot of the, the big names are making, making their way across, even like Poulter coming across from America to play in this one. Um, it was won last year by Wiesberger, so I think he was about 20, 22 or 23 under, pretty solid performance from him, and uh, and he was playing in a really, it was a really strong field, there was McElroy was there, Thomas, Stenson, uh, Lewis, Fowler was there, I think he missed the cut though, so there was a lot of really big names playing, um, and that was a, a really good win for him. The I'm pretty sure as well, I think he'd just come back from injury as well, Top yeah, again off the top of my head. Uh, maybe I should research these things a little bit more, but yeah, Wiesberger is uh, is playing again this week. He's twenty to one. Tommy Fleetwood is a favourite on ten to one. We've got Keimers there. Uh, Matt Wallace mentioned a second ago, twenty two to one. I think it was good value in him to be honest. He's he's due a win. He's too good not to have won in a wee while. And based on his his performance last year, it shows he he's comfortable on the course. Um, and in the end, I think he maybe finished in about sixteen or seventeen under. So. Bit of a poor Sunday, but he was he was on fire on the Saturday. Um, George Kutsia, who won a couple of weeks ago, saw him again last year. He was great, and he's thirty five to one. Poulter thirty three to one. Who else have we got? Robert McIntyre. So Robert McIntyre is forty five to one. Now he's from Scotland. He played in the event last year. Um, he's just spot up with his caddy and got a new caddy who is Scottish. Um, so I I think he might be worth a, a little punt this week um, I wouldn't be too surprised I think he's definitely got the game he'll be used to playing in Scotland obviously 
Um, and he's from way up north in Oban, so he's, he's used to playing in these sort of uh, tougher conditions, shall we say. Um, Danny Willett, he's playing. And Eddie Pepperell, who, again, we followed around last year for a little while. Top guy, 100-1. to 1. Another player who's who's pretty good. Maybe not so great on form-wise just now, but he could be worth a punt there. Um, looking at the weather, so they're expecting um, they're expecting pretty poor weather this weekend over in North Berwick. So it's meant to basically be wet with... Uh, i say a slight breeze, maybe like 20 mile an hour, um, except for Friday, which they're expecting good weather. So I noticed a lot of players sharing um, images and videos from their early practice rounds where they couldn't believe they're in Scotland because it was lovely and sunny on Monday. Um, that's obviously changed. I mean, the, the, weather, um, the weather on Tuesday was good, but today not so great and they're expecting pretty kind of crappy weather for the rest of the week so that'll be a really good event the Scottish Open's always a great one there'll be you know there's a good amount of players there there's a good price point 7,000 points on the race to Dubai so um, which is currently led by Patrick Reid so it'll be good to see somebody hopefully knock him off of that Um, but yeah looking forward to that one so that's uh, that's me done for another week. Uh, I have been saying for weeks and weeks and weeks I'm promising to get some guests on. I've been so busy with work it's quite hard to find time to, to be able to organise this but I have uh, made contact with some people and interestingly I've got, got a little bit of a variety lined up. So we've got some uh, PGA pros, we've got some um, people from the world of golf tech and, and the golf industry and also I've got a greenkeeper who I'm going to have a little chat with I'm excited about it's really interesting um, the prospect of speaking to somebody about something that's that's different you know us players we, we go and play in the course and often we don't really know what goes into maintaining a course and the amount of effort and, and whatnot that the, the guys put in so I'm really looking forward to, to hopefully finding a little bit more about what what is actually what goes into the maintenance of a golf course um, beyond just simply cutting the grass and uh, raking the bunkers because obviously the guys do a heck of a lot more than that. So anyway, enjoy the the golf on the TV this week. Thanks very much for listening to the podcast. Do remember to to subscribe on um, Spotify or Audible or YouTube or Twitter or Instagram, whatever. Subscribe wherever you want and comment on the the post. It'd be great to hear from you. Even just send me a direct message if you want to chat about golf. That's what I'm always keen about. And uh, yeah, Have a great week and enjoy any golf that you manage to get in. But thanks for listening. (laughs) 